Hey everyone, it's Josh. This week, instead of giving our normal introduction, I just wanted to say a few quick words. When we say Life on Side B is a ministry of Posture Shift, that means that Posture Shift picks up the costs of the podcast that are not covered by our patrons. I'm saying this because currently Posture Shift is doing a spring fundraiser right now. If you love this podcast and are able to give, consider going to postureshift.com forward slash give today and support the ministry. It helps Posture Shift continue to make churches safer for queer people and helps continue the work of this podcast. Thanks as well to all of our patrons who continue to give and make this happen. We love you all. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. Now, let's go on to the episode. All right. Welcome, Life on Side B family. We are here today um, to talk about some pretty heavy things, which is necessary, especially when we are talking about resiliency. Sometimes you need to talk about the things that put us in a position that require resiliency. And we have um, an amazing guest with us, our dear friend, Leslie, is here today to talk with us about um, what resiliency looks like in grief. So um, really excited that they are willing to come on and talk with Henry and I today about that. Henry, how are you doing? I am good. How are you? Good. Um, doing well. Definitely um, in a place right now that talking about uh, grief is going to be helpful, I think. Mm. Um, so excited um, in a weird way. Excited it definitely isn't the word to talk about yeah. grief. Um, probably need to to think about a different way of saying that, but definitely anticipating and looking forward to this conversation. Cause I think that we, um, as a society don't know how to deal with grief one, mm -hmm. um, and tend to limit it to conversations solely about death, which is a specific, very real kind of the ultimate expression of grief when we talk about it. But the last two years, especially as a culture, we've talked more about what it looks like to grieve things other than just the loss of um, a person in significant relationship with us. So um, I think it's going to be a valuable conversation for all of us. And um, Leslie, why don't you give us um i'm sure everybody at this point who's listening knows who leslie is but we may have some first time listeners uh, leslie why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um how you identify and a little bit about why um we want to have this conversation with you specifically well my name is leslie hudson reynolds um, i identify as gay and non-binary or transmasculine um why you want to have this conversation with me um because i'm such a wonderfully happy go lucky person maybe i don't know um no it's i you know i've i've been in the side b community for about 12 years now um so this is you know certain the loss of certain things that they come with being side b is certainly something that i'm familiar with um i've had a cancer journey i've had my spouse uh pass away so Along with uh, grief, grieving, um, it, you know, what it means to be side B, I've also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a widow and um, had some unfortunate events in the church, so I've had to grieve um, what the loss of Christian community looked like as a young person and, and grieve uh, what it felt like to, to feel like God hated me as a young person, frankly. Um, so there's, I, there's quite a few things, that, um, different aspects of, of grief that I, um, that I think that, that I'm eager, I think would be the word, not excited, but, e but eager to talk about today. Right. That, um, it's, it's hard to, to look at a situation because this is a little how I felt when we were planning the season of, you know, um, like Leslie's our own personal Job. So let's just pull oh my gosh. story and, and share <laughs> all the different ways that Leslie has experienced a walk, um, with grief. But on the flip side of that, um, it is one way um, that those of us who have experienced loss and have worked through grief, um, that we can make sure that those experiences are not wasted 
um, for lack of a better term, that there is a lot of wisdom and a lot of um, understanding and compassion that that you would have specifically um, surrounding subjects of loss simply because you have had to walk through so many different hardships um, that they each have a different form of grief that goes with them. Um, and I think that it's important that we, I know this is kind of a, a catchphrase right now, but that, that we normalize uh, what it is to be grieving, that it's, yeah. it's not some big, huge thing that you have to, you know, go in a corner and in a sackcloth, you know, joking about Job and everything, you know, that it's part of our everyday life. You know, it's, um, right. you know, our parents, when we come out, our parents have to grieve their expectations mm-hmm. uh, for our lives. I mean, there's just so many different aspects of what grief means and what, and what we need to, to embrace with grief to, to really be able to, I think, embrace God and, and, uh, and our relationship with the spirit and our, and what God grieves, you know, separation from us. And I think, I think that, right. that understanding grief is really understanding, uh, having a better understanding of God. Mm. Oh, that's a great I love way that. of saying that. Sometimes I think another reason why our culture is that maybe has tend to experience a full range of emotions with grief is because we're taught or conditioned or maybe just falsely believe that, okay, well, we should be happy for the life we have. We shouldn't be complaining or, whatever or experiencing these emotions and god is not afraid of our emotions god created us as emotional beings with the emotions so obviously emotions are good right it just depends how we order them just like sexuality is good it just depends how we order it um and so that's kind of what i always think about grief whenever i'm tempted to like try to like dig myself out of the pit or something it's like no i can sit i'm like i can't sit here forever but i can sit in my grief certainly while i experience it and invite others, not only that, but invite others along on the journey as well. Well, the thing is, if you don't sit in it, it's going to follow you. Yeah. And yeah. It, it will make its way out. But, you know, we look at, at the at the Bible and Jesus wept, even knowing that, mm-hmm. that that was a temporary situation. Jesus wept. Jesus grieved, even if that was temporary. Um, so, yeah, it's it, I think that this happy-go-lucky is the way to be a Christian thing is just is is toxic and it, it separates us from from the true nature of Christ and God. Absolutely. It's a really sneaky version of prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. That's exactly know, what I was thinking. If if I don't act like this is bothering me, it'll go away. Or yeah. if I act like this is tripping me up, I'm somehow denying the goodness of God or um I know for me a lot of times it's comparing to other people that um, having lived in a pastor's family, we were exposed to every trauma and every loss yes. of every member of the church. And um, so comparison has always been a problem uh, with me that anytime something I wanted to grieve a loss, my immediate response used to be, but this is nothing compared to so compared to mm-hmm. And so I, I, shouldn't be allowed to grieve this because it's not as bad as what qualifies as being grieved. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lie a lot of us buy into that yeah. that there's some level of what the trauma must be before you're allowed to experience grief. Um, and that's not scriptural. <laughs> no, it's not. So a couple of years ago, I don't know where I got this phrase from, but I was like, it's not the trauma Olympics. It's like, and I think I've said that right. on here before, but it's like, we're all allowed to experience this without having to compare it to other people's grief or trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like, we're talking about, Leslie said something about like some formal process of sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but our society, especially in America, um, well, white America, um, <laughs> white mm-hmm. Protestant evangelical America will really narrow it down. This group that I grew up in, um, we don't have a lot of ritual anymore surrounding yeah. grief. Um, and that's someone mentioned on Twitter uh, a couple of weeks ago that we would possibly interact with one another much differently if everyone who has lost someone due to COVID or is experiencing some sort of grief simply wore a black armband as a reminder of, I am a person in grieving, which is Mm. how society used to do things. I mean, if you lost someone, you wore all black for a certain amount of time. And there was time that society required you to go through the motions of 
grief and mourning. Uh, and we don't, we just don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but how different things might be as a society and how much compassion we may have for one another if we simply had a way of showing externally this is what I'm going through right now. Yeah. Um, Becca, what you said just struck me as so poignant because I remember in 2016, my little brother died. And so I got the call Sunday. He died early Sunday morning. So I got the call. And probably my third call was my boss. I remember calling my boss, which is absurd if you think about it now. But I called my boss up and said, hey, I'm not going to be at work tomorrow, blah, blah, this kind of happened. My boss and I used to go to church together, so he fits in that very small group where you said Protestant, evangelicals, whatever, whiteness. But so, like, I missed work that Monday and Tuesday because, like, I went to a different town, uh, not where I live. And then I came back to work that Wednesday to, like, work for the day, and then I was going to be gone Thursday and Friday. So my boss takes me to lunch that Wednesday, and I'm like, oh, maybe he's going to, like, offer encouragement or something. He decides to do my employee review that day. And then he asks, or he says, you've been out of work for a couple of days. Like, when so-and-so's brother died, they, like, took a day off, but they were back. And I was, like, looked at him, and I was like, are you serious? He's like, I just don't know why you need to be gone all week. And I said, if I need to be gone all year and I come back and I don't have this job, we'll deal with that then. But F this. I was like, we're not having this conversation. Uh, right. And that was the day I stopped taking corporate America seriously as a side note. But like the fact that like he could not understand why I needed a week to like, we hadn't even had the funeral. I was just like, why would like, there's no timeline. Like, why did he want to have a two day timeline? And he's like, yeah. he, he said to me, you didn't look like you really want to be at the office right now. Like, read the room. Of course I don't want to be here. And that's that's very culturally American. You know, if we have yeah. people from other, from other countries listening, it's, you know, grieving periods, you know, three days is what's typical for an immediate family member. That's wild. You know, in, in, in most, most um, HR policies. And that's just, that's asinine. It's absolutely yeah. asinine. And I worked in HR. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, gosh. Right. Yeah, that's after that. Anytime people started asking for, like, time off of bereavement, I'll just give them, like, five days, ten days. I wouldn't even care. <laughs> I was like, you can tell them I approved it. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. And looking at relationships, um, especially, that for those of us who are side B, often it's not the death of a person that we're having to grieve. It can mm -hmm. be... Um, the loss of relationships. It could be um, grieving a an assumed or a dreamed future. I know Leslie mentioned about parents having to grieve. Um, what what has helped most um, for the two of you um, for grieving loss of relationships that may not necessarily be through death, but just grieving relationships in general? How are some ways that you've faced that um, in life? I found an amazing group of friends where I live um, that there's like six of us and it's, we almost have a covenant friendship kind of thing. It's like we do vacations together. We were there for each other. So like if there's something that, for instance, last night, um, the island in my kitchen completely fell apart. Like, generations of crystal lost but it's something that physically i can't pick up and take outside so i you know put it out to this this group of friends and it's it's being taken care of today like actually while i'm recording this there there's somebody at my house fixing it um, and so creating this this community and it takes it takes so much more effort you know and it's a constant effort and um i think that there's still that fear of okay well this person can move away or this person can you know whatever um and there's always that okay well what if the other shoe drops kind of thing um so it's there's still a grieving of the um assuredness of of, mm -hmm. a, of, of a spouse you know and i know i that love people, that um you know people will come back and, and we'll say oh well, but people get divorced yeah they do but you don't walk into it assuming you're going to get divorced um right. you know and it's um we like for me when i, I went to this thing uh, that I jokingly called the granny group right after Sue died um, because it was me and a bunch of 70 year old women and they were grieving like the loss of the partner that they'd had their whole life. I was mm. grieving the promise of what I was supposed to have with Sue. Mm. So it was too, it was, it really wasn't an incredibly helpful group because we were grieving two very different things. Um, yeah. And so I've, I've had to learn to articulate what I'm feeling, um, which has meant being incredibly introspective and, um, 
and being able to share that with people and finding people who are willing to sit down and listen to that. And I love the way Kat the Prairie puts it that, um, that she wants someone to just sit in a puddle with her. Um, yeah. you know, and so, but you have to explain what that puddle is for people who don't understand. Um, and so, yeah, just being able to, to express exactly what I need. And it, it takes, it, it takes a whole lot more work than just rolling over to the person, you know, that's next to you in bed, that's walking through life with you. Yeah. yeah. Becca, what would you say about that? Yeah, that um, having that group um, of people that are going to not necessarily even understand, um, but are willing to be in it with you um, has mm. been something especially important as I've grieved relationships. Um, more so like Leslie said about this dream or the potential of relationships that like when mm. you realize um, that something you are anticipating is not going to come uh, to fruition is, is a lot to have to walk through. Um, when I uh, ended an engagement, it was a similar kind of thing of there are all this, all this anticipation of this is how things are going to be um, this is the potential that we're looking at. And then when that relationship ended, there was a, a delayed, because again, I didn't think that I deserved to be able to grieve that. It was like, mm -hmm. well, that's just life. That's what happens. And it took a little while for me to say, no, this is, this is something I need to be able to work through. Um, but having friends who understood that in those first few months, it was just kind of packing up, putting it in a box and moving on with life, but that they were willing six months, a year, a year and a half later, that as things came up and it was a new wave, a new cycle of grieving, mm -hmm. um, that they were willing to be there for that, that it wasn't, it's been long enough, you should be over this, which is something that you can hear a lot. Um, mm -hmm. But having those people who are faithful to be there for the long term. Um, that grief doesn't end after you've been through one year of marking all of your firsts for something. Mm -hmm. In fact, usually the first year is the easiest. Um, it, it's after all of that, that it's like, oh, I still have to keep doing this, um, that it can be hard. And so having people that are just aware of that and allow you to continue to process um, are really the most valuable, valuable to have around you. Yeah, I agree with, sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying, you, know, you look at the, the five stages of grief and, you know, people expect this to be like some linear journey that you're going on. You know, like you mm. said, it's, it's, it is cyclical. Like, you know, it's, it, I felt like a ping pong ball, you know, bouncing back and yeah. forth between the different stages of grief. Like it's, it's not like yeah. you, you get deal, you know, you get done with, with uh, bargaining and, you know, you move on to anger or whatever. Like it, it just, just doesn't work that way. Like, anger comes back frequently. All right. Oh, anger is the one that comes back for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, at least in my experience, I've noticed, I've noted that. Um, yeah, I think what we, yeah, both of y'all are touching on about finding the right people to really walk with you through it. Because Becca, you said it's not like they can even fix it or do anything about it or even fully understand it, but just their willingness to be there and yeah. step into that. Like, as you said, sit in the puddle with you. Because like, and I think because most people, sometimes we have this like, idealized version of grief like it's going to be this trajectory like you were just talking about that i'm going to come through it and i'm going to be this but like the find people who actually want to sit in the mess with you that's not as common as people think it is especially amongst believers which is actually shameful because believers should right. be the ones to know how to experience grief the best but oftentimes like we touched on earlier we want to just rush past it put on this face or think we shouldn't experience it um and what I've noticed in my life is the group of people that I've had to, in various seasons or stages of my life, been around me as I've experienced grief. And I think what, that's one thing, uh, since we touched about it, like relationships. I remember I had a friendship that was ending um, from 2018, 2020. It was just a painful, like, mm, yeah. And ooh, I actually started in 2017 because I remember that one. Wow. Yeah. And I get mad now just thinking about it. But, um, you know, it's like grieving something while you're still in it. Like, you know, the loss is coming. And so it's like, and then you're helpless to stop it. And you're trying to do all these things. But it's like, I have to learn how to grieve this. That like, similarly, I went through something recently um, 
And when I came out of my coma, a friendship of mine that was very close just ended. Um, and I was talking to my therapist about it. Um, and I didn't feel any sadness or anything like that. Um, and I was like, why? And he's like, Henry, well, you've been grieving the loss of this relationship for two years while you've been in it. So you're just now relieved probably to be done with like the aspect of it, but like, don't discount the fact that you've been grieving it for two years. And I sat there and I went through some of my notes and I was like, oh yeah, I had been grieving this thing like while I was going through it. And I didn't even realize that too. So. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, something that you said is like, people don't, people don't have to do anything to sit with us in that puddle. It's, mm-hmm. I hear so many times, um, you know, I, I don't know what to say to them. I don't know what to, you know, what to do. When someone is grieving, just sitting there, just being with them, like you, mm-hmm. you don't have to be, you know, the joker to make them laugh. You don't have to fix somebody's problems. Just being there so that, so that the person isn't alone, um, speaks volumes and can do so much, uh, can, can do so much good. You know, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about I, like, I'm sorry, go ahead. I know. I was just going to say when you said that it made me think of my best friend, John, who I've talked about on here before, but we lived together before he got married. Then like, who's going to get married with not? So I was just grieving the loss of like our friendship that was going to change for sure. We're still very close friends, but like the dynamic looked differently and whatnot. Yeah. And I remember we were laying in the living room. He was laying on one couch. I was laying on the other and I was just kind of crying silently. And then he's like, what's wrong? And I kind of just explained to him some of my fears and whatnot. And he didn't try to solve it. He was like, Henry, I don't know like what's going to happen, but all I can promise you is that I'll be there for it when it happens. And right. he has not broke that promise. And I was like, okay. See, that's a beautiful way of saying it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a unique thing. I think for, for those of us that are, that are side B is that we, we find, find these incredible friendships and then, you know, these people, you know, a person gets married and you, you find someone that you consider your best friend standing up on the altar talking about their best friend. And that's not you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That can be incredibly painful. And once again, grieving, you know, the, uh, the expectation of, of what that friendship was going to be versus where you rightfully so are going to now fall mm-hmm. beyond the covenant that they've made before God with their spouse. Yeah, that's true. Um, one thing we talked about job a little bit earlier um but that's something that's always struck me about that story is that like his friends terrible friends yeah they're getting it right though right up until the point that they start talking like if they had just continued to sit there with him in silence in the ash heap they would have been fine they were doing exactly what he needed them to do until they started trying to fix it and that has been a good reminder for me over the years um, when I've tried to be there for people who are grieving, because that can be so awkward for those of us who want to fix things of, I don't know what to do. Um, but just remembering that, that sometimes we just need to sit with people um, and that that's okay. And that that is doing something and that is fixing something because if nothing else, you're fixing the aloneness um, that mm-hmm. they're not having to face that by themselves. Um, Leslie, what are some things that were helpful and maybe some things that were not so helpful for you um, as you have grieved um, the loss of Sue? Um, well, helpful, obviously, people who just showed up, people who continued yeah. to check in. Um, you know, it's anyone who's who's been through you know, a, a death cycle uh, with someone that's, that's intimate to them. Um, you know that, like, the first week, everybody's there. The first month, mm-hmm. people have kind of dwindled. The first six months, people have really dwindled. And after six months, it's, you know, you're sitting in an apartment alone by yourself. Um, yeah. You know, and, like, for me, I was in a town. We had moved to a town right before Sue passed. Um, I'd been on tour. Uh, and so I didn't know anybody in the town and was just started, had just joined a church and was just getting to know people oh, there. Wow. Um, and so like, you know, Wednesday night and Sunday were the only times I would have any human interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think this is something that for, for any single person, not just a side B person or for, for a widow, um, is, is to understand that single people need, need the church reaching out, mm. you know, to, to include us in family, to include us in, in, um, just in everyday life. 
um, it's you know I, I've said that I can do that out of the three kinds of intimacy that I've that I've um, found, which is physical, emotional, and spiritual. I can do without one of the three. Yeah. So I can do it, but if you take two away, I can't survive. So yeah. if people are you know when people show up emotionally and spiritually for me, I'm okay not having the physical. Um, mm-hmm. And so having once again, it's, it, it's taken a lot more work than it should have. Um, you know, I hope that people listening to this, you know, can start being more proactive so that, you know, maybe the next generation coming up after us and stuff aren't going to have to work quite so hard at, at finding yeah. it. Um, but little things, you know, like inviting me to a family dinner um, meant the world to me at the time um, because I was just coming back to the church and I was still under the mentality that people thought that that LGBT people were, were evil and they wanted to keep them away from their kids and stuff. So yeah. so when I was invited into somebody's home to be around their kids, that just meant the world to me back then. Um, and it's, you know, there, there are certain uh, ten, what I call tender days. So like her birthday, the day of the fire, the day of her death. Um, the people in my circle know what those dates are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. They sometimes they'll sneak up on me. And like last April, I was just ask, acting all wonky. And one of my friends was like, "Leslie, you do realize that Sue's birthday is coming up next week?" And I was like, "That's what's happening." Like it's you know, yeah. subconsciously these things happen. And so just they've they've invested in me, and it's I I I feel so lucky, blessed, you know, whatever phrase you want to use. Um, but people who who have become that intimate circle for me once again. You know, I, I know I keep going back to that, but. Um, that's what's really made a difference for me being able to pursue. That is so beautiful that that you had people who were to willing to be there through that long haul of of just developing the time to be able to do that. Um, to have real, true intimacy, it can't be immediate. Um, and so the fact that they have been there for you long term uh, is it's really a beautiful thing. Um, it's actually on one person's Google calendar, uh, Sue's death date, Aww. so that every year they know exactly when to be there and support me. It's just, it's been incredible. Uh, see, that sort of intentionality is yeah. a blessing. Yeah, that's a yeah. gift. Yeah, that's a gift. Yeah, love being able to, to see how people support one another that way. Um, yeah, relationships, um, through loss, through breakups, divorce, death, um, those sorts of grieving processes can in some ways look really similar because you're grieving the loss of intimacy, the change of a relationship. Um, There are many things um, as side B Christians, especially that we have to walk through a grief process with. Some of it is grieving the future, like what we thought our lives would look like. Mm -hmm. Um, A real concern that people have to deal with Uh, especially those of us who are looking at future without um, the prospect or the conviction of having a spouse is grieving the loss of a sexual relationship of that sort of physical sexual intimacy. Um, What, what does the process look like um, for grieving celibacy? How does that, how does that look for those of us who know that that is something that is not just a hope for, but that, that we really need to deal with in our lives. I, I will say that probably my process is not the most healthy. So let me start <laughs> out by saying that. Um, but I, I cannot look long-term. Um, my love yeah. language is touch. So I'm, I'm really just kind of screwed in this process. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, but so like I have to, in a, it, I've turned it into a positive thing. I have to every day lay it at God's feet. So it's my anchor to God every morning of Mm. today. I'm not going to do this. Um, I can look a month down the line. I can look a year down the line beyond that. It becomes overwhelming for me. Um, And I think part of that is we we need to recognize that there's a very different journey than that. Those of us who have been in a physical relationship are going through because we're grieving the loss of what we know. We know what that is. We know what it means to physically connect with somebody physically and emotionally. We know what that beautiful uh, moment can be. Um, so that's what we're grieving. Yeah. People who, who you know, are, have been celibate from the get-go are grieving the loss of, of what they don't know. 
and the potential of all that. So, so I want to recognize that there, there are two different journeys there uh, that are happening. Um, but for me, it's like I said, I mean, it has to be a day-to-day thing. It can be a week-to-week thing. Um, I so admire people. I've been on panels with people who said, yes, you know, I've committed lifelong celibacy. I've been at this for 12 years. I don't think I'm going to falter on it. Um, but I can't look past this week. Um, yeah. But it's I, I, I really see it as a positive now that it's an anchor chain that, yes. that I have to go to God with this. Um, and I've made it something that I'm kind of, like I said, that I'm thankful for because it's, it's something that I, that I know if I, if I don't go to it, I'm going to mess up. I will. Yeah. So I, I have to constantly go back to God so I can only like pout for so long or, you know, be a brat for so long when I'm upset about something in my spiritual yeah. work. I have to go back to God and say, okay, yeah, I, I need to lay this to your feet before I do something stupid. Yeah. And that is such an incredibly healthy and self-aware thing to know. I mean, that's, I used to sit in that overwhelmed despair, like thinking that I had to get myself to a point of accepting this is going to be my life. And especially like in my mid twenties, when I had just left a relationship and was making this commitment to this conviction of this is how God wants me to live my life. Um, of that being overwhelming when, especially when I looked around and most of my friends were getting married, some of them had already started having kids and it was like hashtag forever alone before hashtags were cool. And, and so that I have that same sort of thing of, I cannot look at this as a lifetime commitment. And for some people they're like, Oh, what a lack of faith, you know, that, like, no, it's not, it's not a lack of faith. I fully believe that God will sustain me for the rest of my life if this is how I am to live. That is not the problem. Um, I trust God fully. I don't trust myself. Uh, <laughs> and, and being able to say, you know, thus far the Lord has brought me, um, that loss of relationship and grieving that relationship is an Ebenezer sort of thing in my life that from this point, the Lord has brought me. I believe he will continue to bring me. Um, but I, I can trust him with right now. Um, and I know that right now I have the mercy and the grace to sustain and to continue living. And that is my plan. And that is my intention. And that sort of sustained walk um you're right about it being an anchor that's something that i've written about before that um like why i don't pray for god to please make me straight or even god please bring me a husband or like i don't pray those things not because i think that he can't necessarily do them but my thought has been the last few years of it would almost be cruel for him to, because this is the thing that I know I have to come to him for daily. Mm -hmm. And why would he take away the thing that I need that most helps me realize my dependence on him? I don't know, Becca. I think if we had to live with a man, that might be something we would have to go to God. Okay. Girl, I'm telling you, like and men is right? ghetto. Like and men is ghetto. You'd be grieving that, okay? Grieving that, too. I mean, you know, I spent the first 21 years of my life sharing a bathroom with my brothers, and now I share a bathroom with my seven-year-old son. I mean, and that's enough testosterone in my house. So, yeah, I... I I feel you. Yeah. I don't even have boy pets. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> Becca, um, <laughs> something you said, two things you said really stood out to me. Um, first, when you said the Ebenezer Remembrance Tone, um, sometimes I always think, like, I mean, even, like, now when I'm going through something, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get through this, Lord? How are you going to carry me through this? And then I remember, I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's been times where I was sitting on my bedroom floor crying, couldn't get up, but yes. the Lord got me through that. So, like, he is going to sustain me. And even if, like, in that moment, I know I don't feel like he's enough or anything, I just draw upon the memories of the times where I've doubted that before and he's shown up. And that's, like, what helps me through my grief process sometimes because nothing else can. I'm like, God, I ain't got nothing but you. And right. I think that's such a great place of despair to be. Um, and the Lord, I think, in his kindness, even uses those moments to really shape us and teach us that, like, I have been enough for you before, and I'll be enough for you again. 
And um, what else did you just say about whenever, like, you don't even pray for God to change this or do that? Because not, not because you can't, but, like, it's almost not even helpful because then it creates this false sense of hope that um, I think, especially that other Christians love to latch onto for us. Um, yes. And maybe that way you could convince yourself to do something or push yourself to do something versus why if you just sit in the grief and deal with the reality of the situation, that's honestly more helpful and as a, as a better propellant towards Christ because you're dealing with what's in front of you. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to place my hope in anything but Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I know that for me, personally, that is what happens when I look with anticipation or with possibility of that sort of relationship that I I have needed to grieve that Mm. of saying that is probably not going to be a part of my life. Mm. And I am okay with that because it is what God has brought me to. And I Mm. know that he's going to sustain me through that. And so Mm. grief over a loss of a sexual relationship with someone has been an act of trust and an act of worship because it's me saying every day, I know that you will sustain me. I know that your love is better than life, that I have experienced this thing and I can still say your love is better. Um, That Mm. grieving is a step of obedience in my life. Um, Mm. Because if I'm not grieving it, then I'm not really saying I have handed this over to you. Um, So it's a huge thing that I think if we don't allow people to recognize that, especially for those of us who have been in physical sexual relationships with people, um, I'll never forget um, one of my counselors once told me just um, because something was wrong doesn't mean that it wasn't real. And mm. that, Ooh. that, come on, therapist. Was, yes, right. That was a huge game changer for me. Of I'm writing that. I'm taking notes on from both. Absolutely. Y'all, like, as we're I mean, here, I just been taking notes. That, yeah, that that was that was such a game changer for me of recognizing that my feelings, my emotions, that relationship, um, was real. And whether I was convicted to end it or not had nothing to do with the realness of the experience. And so I still needed to grieve that in order to be able to be useful <laughs> to God or to mm-hmm. anyone else. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's one thing I've been so incredibly grateful for, both my community in Massachusetts and now down here in Tennessee where I'm living. No one has ever asked me to call Sue anything other than my wife. Like, no. there has mm-hmm. never been... Um, you know, an expectation that I would like regret my relationship or, or, you know, wish that I hadn't been in that relationship. They've all been incredibly respectful of the fact that this was my wife. This was someone that I had chosen to do life with. And frankly, I don't know that I would be where I am right now if Sue were still alive. You know, it's, I I get asked that question a lot and I I don't know the answer to that. Um, But that's just, that's helped so much in, in grieving the loss of her that I've been yeah. able to healthily hold on to her as well. Yeah, that's mm. incredible. Um, I know that there are many of us that probably have not had that experience with churches and with friends in grieving yeah, past relationships. That. So that is that is a beautiful example of, of what that should look like. I was going to say, like, it's, I, I'm old. And so <laughs> when I was like uh, testing churches down here, especially, I walked in and I was just incredibly blunt. Um, because I love that, you, you know, I don't have the capacity to grieve a whole lot more in my life. I'll be honest. You, you jokingly said Joe, but, but you know, it's, it has been, you, you know, it's, I feel like little pieces have been broken off, you know, with all these different yeah. things that I've grieved. And I don't feel like I have a whole heck of a lot more than I can yeah. lose. Um, so when I walked in to each church, you know, I was very frank. I had one-on-one meetings with pastors and stuff to see if I would be safe. And so before I set foot in this church, I had already met with a pastor and one of their um, one of their group leaders, and knew that this was going to be a safe space for me to come in and and, and pursue a relationship with Christ and to grow in my relationship. Um, I'd had two years of of incredible failures uh, prior to that, so it's not like it's something that was that was easily obtained. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed, but it's unfortunately was a whole yeah. lot more work than it should have been. Yeah. What, what are some ways um, that 
that facing grief through the various experiences that you've had um, have helped you combat issues related to shame. Um, is there is there any way that you see a connection of that, that, that grieving has helped you combat shame in any way? It has, yeah. When I, you know, I... I grew up in the 80s in the Southern Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Bless you. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. You know, it was, we were in the height of the AIDS crisis. So, um, you know, it was the gay plague. We all should die. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, and so I felt like because that's what was coming from the pulpit, I equated what that pastor was saying to what God felt about me. Um, yeah. And so, of course, internalized a lot of shame with that. Um, and now being in a much more healthy place, uh, both in, in my church in Massachusetts and here, I've been able to, to grieve the process of what that pastor was teaching, honestly, and, and to almost pity that pastor that he doesn't understand God the way that I understand God. Um, but it's, it's taken, it's taken me grieving the loss of that childhood innocence, um, the loss of what should have been taught. Uh, to to anyone, forget an LGBT person, but just any person about what God believes about them, um, to combat the the shame that that I that I felt as being an LGBT person, and I, I've said this before, I don't know that, that that's fully going to go away this side of heaven. I think that's something because it was ingrained so young, um, is is going to be here, and it's something that I'm going to have to continue continually grieve. Um, it's it's affected my you know my current church relationships. You know it's. Um, I will always feel like an outsider in the church, and I think most LGBT people can can relate to that. That um, even in the most accepting of places, there's you always feel like there's some kind of a, a barrier between you and everybody else, just because this particular sin has been taught to be so different. Or not that being LGBT is a sin. Let me clar- clarify that. But that that this particular thing is is so other. Um, that it's just like, I feel like there's kind of a line drawn, whether it's there or not, it's drawn in my mind now. Um, and it's certainly something that I'm in the process of grieving. I I wish that I could say that I was on the other side of it, but I'm not. Yeah. Well, and you talk about, um, that it is not itself a sin, but how many of us grew up in church that it was either implicitly or explicitly taught that being gay was a sin. So we know better, but also that is what was ingrained in us growing up for a large number. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of dealing with that shame that goes with that. Um, but it does help in those ways of building and developing resiliency that, you know, you go to a a gym to lift weights and it's that the weight that helps build strength that when we face adversity, that is what helps us develop that resilience so that the next time we are able to get back up and to do whatever and to see how God is going to be there for us. Um, what are some ways that your experiences with grief that you can look back and see that they were ways that God has helped you build resilience mm-hmm. and trust in him? Oh, wow. So many, um, you, you know, just talking about, you know, what you were saying about, you know, bouncing back and everything. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that I have learned is, is what God intended for me and what I deserve. Oh, wow. You know, it's like, I almost feel shame even saying that I deserve things. Um, because it is so, like you said, it was so ingrained in us from a young age. Um, you know, implicitly or explicitly. Um, so it's, it's been a journey with God to understand what I deserve in relationships, what I deserve, yeah. um, what I, what, what I should expect from the world. Um, and so I, I think that anytime we have a trial of any kind, whether, you know, grief or you know, whatever it may be, um, we get to know God on a level that we, that we wouldn't have known otherwise. Um, those of us that have had the church walk away from us when we came out, we understand what Jesus felt like when the disciples all turned their back on him. We, we get an insight into Christ in a way that, you know, that we, mm. that other people don't. And so um, I feel like there's an insight to God that I have that other people who, who haven't experienced the things that I have just simply don't understand. Um, you know, you're, you're only, you can only depend on something 
as much as you've seen it played out in your life, I think. Mm-hmm. You can say, yes, I yeah. know it will be there. But to say, no, it has been there is very different. And so, yeah. um, you know, it's, I, I know my, I know my boundaries a whole lot more um, because mm-hmm. of it. I, I think I'm a much healthier person, um, even though I say I, well, I say I'm, I'm healthier than I was, um, you know, and it's, you know, Henry jokes about, you know, writing this stuff down, but it's thousands of dollars in therapy that has gotten us mm-hmm. with these catchphrases. Okay. I'm at a couple thousand myself. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, yeah, I, I think the biggest resiliency is just knowing who to go to and it's not a, it's no longer a journey for me when I'm grieving of, of, of how do I get to God? It's a, wow, this is happening. God, let's go. I can't do this alone. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's just a much more direct route just because I've, I've, I've faced it in so many different things. Wow. That's beautiful. Henry, what about you? How has, how has grief helped you with resilience? Um, I think grief has shown me one that I am resilient or that yeah. um, I have the capability to through Christ to withstand a lot more than I thought I could on my own. Yeah. So, um, and it's also, I think grief has just shown me that like, this is, it's all going to be a part of life. And like, and that the resiliency comes from accepting that we can't escape it because, um, especially how I grew up with just an abusive home and stuff like that. Um, my therapist told me a couple of, maybe this was last year. And he's like, sometimes you have patterns too, where you're going to gonna try to do everything you can to mitigate or avoid grief or make anything less when it's like, sometimes it's out of my control. And like, there's nothing I can really do here or there to shift the amount of grief I'm going to experience over the course of something. So I might as well just yeah. not like lean into it, but yeah, almost embrace it as a sort of like, okay, this is going to happen. I know where my foundation is and I'm going to be okay, even in moments when I'm absolutely not okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a wisdom to the acceptance that you have to go through it versus mm-hmm. trying to spend all the energy getting around something that you absolutely can't get around. Yeah, just buckling down and getting through it with Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful way of saying it. That, as, especially in the American culture, like we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to talk about loss. Um, it's one of those icky kind of experiences that yeah. that we would prefer to avoid, but. Yeah, there's a lot of health and a lot of resiliency building when we just acknowledge that mm-hmm. loss is a part of life, and yeah. when we face it, we need to do so with the full understanding that God is there with us to yeah. have those relationships surrounding us now, so that when we deal with grief, those people are going to be there. And that yeah. we are one of those people for others, you know, that, yeah. that developing those relationships ahead of time is what really can be our saving grace in those moments of having to deal with grief and loss. You can't wait until then to try to find your circle of people. Um, it's too late. Um, so being able to have those things in place simply because we, I think it's something that is not necessarily unique to side B, but is more pronounced i think that we have a definite loss we have a a more pronounced um difference in how we live life that we know these are some things that are going to be different for me compared to other people um and so having that awareness requires us to have more intentionality i think um in preparing for when those things are going to happen in life. Like we don't have the luxury of, of thinking nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. And, and I have friends that, that are in blessed and I think privileged places that they've not experienced a lot of loss of any kind in their yeah. life. Um, but that's just not very many of us in, in this community in particular. Yeah. yeah it's, I'm sorry, go ahead. And I was going to say, Becca, what you said about make sure where are those people for other people just made me think of the passage in Second Corinthians, um, Second uh, Corinthians one three to five. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, all and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. 
For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. That's just a passage. Uh, I remember someone shared that with me probably, I think I was a senior in high school, so in 2007. And it's just always stuck with me whenever I'm going through something and then I experience like uh, the love of Christ and just the comfort through that. It's like, okay, Henry, God's going to use this later or just remember this later so you can be this for someone else in the same way you just experienced it. Yeah, Leslie, was there something that you were... Oh, yeah, just, just about the intentionality of it. You know, it's, yeah. I, I'm an only child, um, not super close to any of my cousins or anything. Um, you know, when my mom passes away, and essentially I will have, like, I have an aunt and uncle, but I'm not super close to either of them. Um, yeah. So without that intentionality, like, I really would be completely alone in this world. Um, mm. But with intentionality, like, I think that I have a stronger network than I would have had had I had brothers and sisters or you know or something else yeah. and these are people who have consciously committed to being there for me versus like are stuck there because of blood kind of thing <laughs> right you know they're, they're choosing to be there and walk with me um yeah it's but it it, it does it, it takes intentionality to find that yeah absolutely now this has been a great conversation I appreciate you willing to do this, Leslie. We um, have been closing our episodes this season with a question um, that I, I like. This is a, depending on the day, I think I answer it differently. Um, but Leslie, what would you say to your younger self? And you can pick which younger self you'd like to address, but what would you, what would you say to your younger self? I think I could, if I could say anything to myself at any point in time, it would be myself as a teenager. Um, and I would just say he's wrong. Talking about the pastor that, that was teaching me that I was an abomination and that God hated me and there was nothing I could do to get to God. Um, I would just want to say he's wrong. God is chasing you. God, It's not that you have to get to God. God is running after you. Yeah. That oh my is. gosh, Leslie, I could just sit under your advice and wisdom all day. I no. mean, like, truly, like, there's so much that, like, there's just a blessing when you speak. And honestly, yeah. it's like you're a teacher. Um, yeah. And so thank you so much for just sharing that gift with us. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah I, so I never cool. cease to be blessed and encouraged with a conversation with you. So thank you for sharing um, your wisdom out of grief and how to to do that well and for sharing um, just a little bit of your of your life with us we appreciate it thanks for having me all right <laughs>